Well, good morning to you. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and the reason that I can stand here and greet you in such a manner is because of the event that we're going to be celebrating next Sunday as we observe Resurrection Sunday. Now, you're going to notice around here we don't call it Easter. That's pagan. We don't call it Easter. I know sometimes I'll slip up and go, what are you doing on Easter? I mean, Resurrection Sunday. We don't celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to be doing that next Sunday. But I encourage you to celebrate that event every single day of your lives as we rejoice that the tomb is absolutely empty, that we serve a risen, a risen Savior. And today and next Sunday, we're going to suspend our study, I think I put that in the bulletin, of Christ of the Book. And we'll pick back up with 1 Samuel uh, here in a couple of weeks. But today I want, to talk, I want us to talk about Palm Sunday and exactly what was going on on that day. Now, all around the world today that churches, people are observing uh, this day when a Jewish carpenter from an obscure village in an obscure country rode into an obscure city, at least by the world standards, not on a prancing white stallion, not with legions upon legions of warriors following in military rank, but lowly, riding upon a donkey. But folks, I'm here to tell you that no other man in the history of the world has had the impact that this man from Galilee has had on civilization, has had on my life had on your life. I think there's sufficient evidence in the lives that he's changed, in the impact that he's had on society down through the years, to prove that he was absolutely who he claimed to be, God incarnate. And today we've gathered together to worship him, to exalt him. This one that rode in on a donkey, and I'm sure that there were kings and emperors and rich and mighty and powerful that would look at that event and they would laugh. They would scorn. They would wonder what was, what was the purpose. Well, that couldn't have been that important. To them, it was probably a joke. Those crazy Hebrews cheering a carpenter, cheering on a nobody, and riding a donkey? Well, that's hilarious, they must have thought. There's no pomp. There's no grandeur. That's, there's nothing exciting about that just another bunch of religious zealots with fanciful aspirations making a scene. 
Why, this man that's lowly riding in on a donkey, why, maybe, he, does he have 12 followers? And, and they can't agree on who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. They're bickering and fighting about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. And one's about to betray him. One's about to betray him. One is about to deny him three times. What kind of followers are those? One's going to doubt him. One's going to doubt everything that he told them, he's going to doubt. And those that are going to be hailing him and singing praises to him and shouting, Hosanna, those very people here in just about a week are going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now, who does he think he is? I'll tell you who. Not only did he think he is, but who he was. He was the God of all creation. He was the one who sustains us every single day of our lives. He rode into that city with people there who hated him, who were bitter toward him. His only crime, his only crime was being God. And the world didn't want to accept that. Israel certainly didn't want to accept that. And you know what? They still don't. They still don't. But that doesn't change. But he was God. And he was coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Me. And you. What a God we serve, folks. See, I'm convinced that mankind would have never come up with such a plan of salvation. If man had been the one called upon to think about the triumphal entry, why, well, you better believe that it would have been on a stallion that only he could have ridden. Wild as the wind. There would have been sharply dressed warriors and army behind him with spears pointed upwards and marching in such fashion to be impressive. Man would not have devised the plan of salvation dying for someone else. Now man would have devised it where they would have said, you be good, you try really hard, and maybe perhaps if you're really good and you give a lot of money, well, you just might make it to heaven. But this one said that he loves us. And that greater love hath no man than this, and he laid down his life. For his friends. Wow, what love is that? The triumphal entry that we're going to look at this morning was one of the most interesting and meaningful events in all of the Gospels. All of the Gospels. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Folks, that's big. That's huge. But was it just another one of many 
things that occurred that shows that he was who he claimed to be? Was the triumphal entry just another indicator that, hey, we need to be paying attention to this. This one who's riding in, why, in the back of our minds, we remember something. Didn't someone? Zechariah, that's right, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Somebody go grab that scroll. Because we think Zechariah 9.9 said something about exactly what's going on. Is this a fulfillment of prophecy? You would think they would have done that. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just. Greatly rejoice. He is, he is just in having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon the foal of a donkey. What a, what a fulfillment of prophecy. So meaningful, so much substance tied into this fulfillment of Scripture, proving that what God claimed He was going to do, He was doing. But was that all? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, there's so much more to what was transpiring. To this. By, by the way, you know this was important. You know this was meaningful because the Lord Jesus says if these people didn't cry out, if I didn't write in and these people didn't cry out, why the very stones would have cried out. That means it's serious. And you know what? I believe they would have. There was so much more going on. Yes, it's fulfillment of Scripture, but something else was taking place that we need to get our hearts around and believe according to the Scripture. Now, as we look at this, there are a couple of Scriptures I want you to keep in mind. Turn with me to John 1, verse 29. John 1, verse 29. And the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Verse 36, John says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Keep those two scriptures in mind. Keep another one in mind. Look at Revelation Boy, it, it's almost impossible to read this portion of Scripture, the place it is for me. I told you that. What an exciting future we have, folks, for the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at Revelation chapter 5. And I beheld in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, 
having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And last made unto us God, unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and of the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know, the Scripture absolutely, positively defines Christ as the Lamb of God. Right? From these scriptures, there is no doubt that He is the Lamb of God. And on that day that He was riding into Jerusalem, you need to understand that the world was extremely dangerous, volatile, evil, wicked, cruel, all of those things could be said of the entire world, but even in Jerusalem. This included God's favored nation, Israel. Israel was in bondage to sin. They were in bondage to Rome. But in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, when history was perfect, in God's perfect timing, Christ comes riding in on a donkey, lowly, when the hearts of his countrymen were sinful, evil, perfect timing. Now, I want to prove that to you. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Let's look at verse, start with verse 45. John 11, verse 45. Now, as we read this, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but I want you to be aware that the Lord Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. From the dead, right? Just raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's a miracle in anybody's book. Lazarus was dead. Not only was he dead, he had been in the tomb four days. He didn't smell good. As a matter of fact, John's, or Lazarus' family warns the Lord when he says, remove the stone, open the sepulcher. No. Verse 45. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. These were the temple spies. They were there just to stir up trouble, 
Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man does many miracles. He does many signs. So they recognized them as miracles. They recognized that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. There was no doubt in their mind. If we let him alone, verse 48, if we leave him alone, all men are going to believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Talk about blindness. Talk about hardness. If we just let him keep doing his thing, everybody's going to believe on him, and we're not going to have the cush positions we have. We're going, we're going to lose our place. We're going to lose our importance. They didn't say they didn't believe what was happening. They didn't say that, that well, well he's, just a, he's just a lunatic. They knew that Lazarus had been dead and that he was risen from the dead. But if we leave him alone, he's going to take away both our place and nation. In other words, Rome is going to really put this down. They're not going to tolerate us, and Israel will be no more. This was the chief priests. These were the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders. These were the ones that were directing Israel and their religious practices saying these things. But it gets worse. Look at verse 49. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You don't know half of it. You don't know anything. You don't realize the seriousness of what's going on here. And the Holy Spirit is about to put words in his mouth. He knows Lazarus is raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit is about to speak through him. You would think that that would be an indication. I'd better shut up, sit down, and listen to what this man has to say. You don't know anything at all nor considered that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and the whole, that the whole perish, that the whole nation perish not. Well said, Caiaphas. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. He was a high priest. He had the authority. The Holy Spirit spoke through him. Verse 52, And for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Basically, he was quoting Jeremiah 23. He was quoting Jeremiah 31. They should have been jumping up and down and going, Wow! Prophecy is being fulfilled. Listen to the high priest. But this man was evil. This man was evil. And after he spoke, look at verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him on his throne. Huh, it doesn't say that, does it? Put him to death. The high priest just told him why he was there. 
came to seek and to save that which was lost. And from that moment, we've got to get rid of this guy. We, we, we can't let him keep raising the dead. And keep this in mind. He had already made the blind to speak, uh, the blind to see, the dumb to speak, the deaf to hear. He, he, had already, he had already performed all these miracles as signs to the nation of Israel that he is exactly who he, who he said he was. And they still wanted... Matter of fact, when you go through the Scriptures, every time he performed one of those miracles as indicators, what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to hush him up. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews and went thence into a country near to the wilderness to a city called Ephraim and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. It's kind of an insult. Thinking themselves religious. We're in the temple. We're, you know, they, they're high and mighty. They're in the temple. What do you think? Do you think he's going to come to the feast? Think he'll not come? Well, he's going to have to come. You do realize that, right? What would have happened had he not come to the feast of the Passover? What would he have had broken? The law. Had he broken the law, what could he not have been? Your Savior. Your Savior. They would think he's going to be here. You think he's going to come? I think it's for two reasons. Number one, if he didn't have the guts to show, then, uh, then he's not God. He knows he needs, if he's really God, he, he'll be here. But there was also thinking, hey, if he shows, let's set a trap for him. Let's set a trap. Verse 57, chapter 11. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given commandment that if any man knew where he were, that he should show it that they might take him. And that's not to worship him, but to kill him. Look at Exodus 12. Go to Exodus 12 before we go into John 12. Look at, look at Exodus 12, starting with verse 1. Just told us in John 11 that it was time for the Passover. They were preparing for the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. What was that all about? And the Lord, verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. It's going to be an important time. And speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of the month 
They shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So here's what you do, Israel, as they were preparing for that first Passover. You select your spotless lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. And then you prepare to kill it, slaughter it, sacrifice it on the 14th day of Nisan. You want to know how much God loves you? Not only does He love you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you, He loves you so much, He makes sure in His Word that you can see the truth of His Word. God shows you in His Word just how much He loves you and leaves nothing to error. Doesn't leave you scratching your head and going, what's going on here? John chapter 12, this is amazing. The only reason people would doubt and reject is because of sin in their lives and the hardness of their heart. Here is God's Word trying to say, see what I did? See what I did to show you that my Word is true? John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, now, the Passover was on the 15th day of Nisan. Preparation day was the 14th. That's when you got the lamb ready for slaughter. The Passover begins on the 15th day. So, six days before the Passover was going to be Nisan the 9th. Right? Six days before the 15th would be Nisan the 9th. So then Jesus, six days, or Nisan the ninth, before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then took Mary a pound of ointment, spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. This is, the third, this is the third anointing in the Scripture. Twice by Mary. Uh, this one six days before the Passover, uh, and then uh, going to anoint his head two days before the Passover. Then took Mary a pound of spike uh, uh, ointment, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, it's okay to boo and hiss, but that's okay. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Don't religious people just make you sick? Don't, don't these... these moral uh, hypocrites, these people that try to... Uh, he didn't care about the poor. 
He cared about the money that was in his pocket, the bag that he carried. It's what the Scripture tells us. Wanting to look spiritual, wanting to look religious. Why wasn't this money used to help the poor? He didn't care, like a lot of other religious people today will do. This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and bear what was put therein. It's about a year's wage, by the way, based on the cost at this time. It was, it was, it was costly. It was costly. <laughs> but she was anointing the creator of the universe. And then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you've not all, you don't have always. And much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus, Lazarus also to death. These are mean, nasty people. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Wow. They're wanting to kill both of them. Look at verse 12. Here we go. On the next day. So, if it was Nassan the night, on the next day, wait a minute, let me do the math. Might take just a few minutes. It'd be Nisan the tenth, right? On the tenth day of Nisan, Christ comes riding into Jerusalem, lowly, on a donkey, exactly what Zechariah 9 9 would say as an indicator that he's exactly what he said he was. What was he? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What we have here is God Himself presenting Himself as a sacrificial lamb. Israel, choose your lamb on this day. And the Lord said, here I am. He rode in on the day that the selection was to be made, offering Himself as Israel's sacrificial lamb. You know, and I think in my mind, you wonder, these chief priests and Pharisees and, and all of these religious leaders uh, conspiring, let's kill him, let's catch him, let's destroy him. Oh, by the way, where are you getting your lamb to observe the Passover? That just reeks with hypocrisy. Where, okay, well, are, you, are you getting your lamb from the same butcher you got it from uh, last year? Uh, we, we've got to, let's get this work done so that we can be religious. Where here was the Lamb of God presenting Himself as the sacrificial Lamb. Verse 12, on the next day, Nisan the 10th, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. 
And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, and as, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king comes sitting on a donkey's colt. And these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. On the tenth day of Nisan, when Israel was to pick their lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself as the spotless lamb of God, without blemish, for the slaughter. So as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, yes, it is absolutely imperative that we understand this fulfillment of Scripture. Isn't God great? Isn't God wonderful to give us the fulfillment of Scripture where we can look and see, hey, this, this was a miracle. But I think the greatest miracle of all was why God was writing in lowly. You do understand that he could have had a legion of ten gazillion angels behind him. He could have ridden into Jerusalem as creating new universes as he rode in. He could have ridden in and gotten the world's attention in such a fashion that they would have marveled. And then they would have died in their sins. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to impress, but to save. And this morning, I'm thankful for that, that the Lamb of God was willing to do what absolutely had to be done in order to buy my pardon in order to make me a new creation. I think I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking that what God demanded, a blood sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, remember? And what God demanded, God became that sacrifice. What a God we serve. And He alone deserves our praise, our worship, our adoration, and our service. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning and how thankful we are. You look beyond our faults and You saw our need and You met that need through Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Father, we come before You loving You this morning and praising Your name for that salvation. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy. We come acknowledging that we just plain and simple do not deserve it. But Father, we're thankful for your great love. We're thankful for this plan of salvation that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has never by faith trusted Christ as their Savior, that this will be the morning, this will be the exact moment when they realize that they're lost, 
that they're on their way to hell, that a Christless eternity awaits if they do not, by faith, trust you as Savior. And Father, may the Holy Spirit just convict them of their tremendous need for you. Father, may each and every one of us realize that we could never be good enough, we can never perform well enough to satisfy your righteous requirements, but the perfect Lamb of God did on Calvary's cross. And by faith, we trust in Him. Father, we thank You for the work of the Holy Spirit that places us into that body, that baptizes us into the body of Christ, places there, seals us into the day of redemption. Oh, we thank you for that glorious salvation, that glorious identification. And Father, I pray that every single person here this morning has that salvation. That Father, right now their hearts are rejoicing in the truth of the salvation that they experience in Christ. But Father, if there's anyone here that keeps turning him away, who keeps rejecting, who keeps saying later, Father, may this be the day that by faith they surrender all. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.